If you will, take a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 12. If you need one and finding right now that you don't have one, there are some at that welcome table. And don't be ashamed to get up, run and go grab one if you need to. Uh, so if you're with us today and you're, you're still learning about who Jesus is, exploring who he is, I did want to give just a quick primer based on what this passage is going to be dealing with today. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. Jesus was born into the human flesh 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died for sinners like you and me. He is the sacrifice that is necessary, that is needed to pay for our sin. And, and, and we are united to Christ in, in faith. That becomes ours when we have faith in Jesus, uh, when we believe that, that his death was for us. And so three days after the, the death of Jesus, God raised him from the dead back to life, right? That is one of the uh, significant aspects of our, our faith. And uh, that's what we refer to as the resurrection. And then Jesus ascends into the sky, uh, and today he rules with God. And there's this promise that one day Jesus will come again. He will return. Every week as we're doing the Lord's Supper, that's a part of it, right? That we're, we're doing this until Jesus returns. Well, today we are still waiting for Jesus to return. And when Jesus comes, this time, he, he's not coming to save like he did the first time. This time he comes, he'll be coming to judge the world. And so then in recent weeks, as we've been working our way through Luke, and particularly Luke chapter 12, we, we've seen Jesus talking about these kingdom values, values that belong to his kingdom, right? And, and instead of being greedy, we're to be generous with all that the Lord gives us. And you know, and, and we're to, to trust the Lord to provide for us instead of being anxious. We're, we're to seek first the kingdom of God in every aspect of, of life. And, and our passage today then is picking up right up on the end of that. And, and I just want you to know it, it's part of the same teaching, the same moment. Jesus is still, still there teaching in the moment uh, right where we pick up here. But today he's going to be sharing with us a few of these uh, Parabolitos, right? Ito meaning small in Spanish. It's these little bitty parables that can just be one, one line or so, uh, one after another. And these parables, these little parables are going to be telling us something about the return of Jesus that we're looking forward to in the future. And, and, and that's the setting here. And so we're going we're gonna to read it in two segments today, the two bigger segments, but two segments. And the first one is starting in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. So if you will, uh, follow along as I read that aloud. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And so we don't approach it to critique it. We bring our hearts to conform to it, to grow into your likeness, to find hope in our failures and strength for our faith, strength for the walk, 
And so, Lord, we ask that you enlighten our minds to understand these words, that we'd be changed by them. Uh, Holy Spirit, give me grace to preach this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we really begin and get into it, I would imagine you've probably thought, what would be the one question? You stand before the Lord, right? And you have opportunity finally to ask any question you want. What, what are you going to ask God? What, what's that one question you're going to ask Him, right? Is it, is it something of a real serious nature or something else, right? Something like, uh, did Adam and Eve actually have belly buttons is, is one of the well-known ones. Or, or what really happened to the dinosaurs? What's going on there? Right? Why, why did you never create unicorns? Questions like this. Or, uh, you know, one of my daughters always wants to know, can I go jump on the clouds? And I try to explain, you'll go through the clouds. But um, that's the question. Now, before this week, I think my question for the Lord, one of those unusual questions would be simply, why, why mosquitoes? They serve no purpose. None at all. I've yet to see it. And if you know of one, let me know, because I will prove you wrong. Um, now... After studying this passage, though, my, my new first question I, I want to ask God is, why, why these parables? What's going on here? This is one of the strangest passages I, I've ever had to, to preach on. Um, it's not an easy passage. In fact, if, 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 it weren't committed, if I weren't committed to preaching the, the whole of the Bible, if that wasn't our, our stand as a, a church and individually, uh, if I thought you wouldn't notice, I'd be so tempted just to skip past this. Um, because it's strange. But alas, we, we know that every single word of, of the Scripture, of the Bible, is breathed out by God. We know that it's profitable for our lives. And, and so here we go. Um, now, as you look at this passage, I think the very first question, the most obvious question for, for everyone in this room as we, we hear this command, you know, be, to be ready is, 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 is this idea of am I ready for the return of Jesus? You ever ask that question? Am I, am I ready? Because that's what he's calling me to do is to be ready. And, and, and I think we kind of are, what does he mean by that, right? You might be thinking, I, I don't know if I'm ready. What, what, is, what do you wear to be ready? Or uh, what task do I need to complete before I'm ready? Um, those kind of questions. How do you actually get ready for the return of Jesus? And, and they're fair questions, and I, I hope to give you some answers before we're done here. But, but before we even get to that point, I, I need you to see that, that the major thesis, the major point, the major argument of this whole thing is, is, is this, that, that kind of arises out of the passage is this. Um, that our future eternal life with Jesus should shape our present way of life today. So, so when we're looking forward to the return of Christ, that, that needs to shape the way that you and I live our lives. Or to put it another way, that the knowledge that Jesus will return someday changes the way that you and I live today. There's a dash in that today, of course. Um, and so Jesus begins his teaching here with this phrase, Stay dressed for actions, for, for, for action, which, which is actually translated from, from this Greek phrase um, that, that is literally what's being translated here is this phrase that says, let your loins stay girded. Anyone use that in a sentence in the last 10 years, like naturally? Rodney, of course Rodney has. <laughs> so remember at this time period, men wore robes, okay? all of them just about. It was, it was the normal dress. And if you've ever had to wear a, a robe or a long dress, uh, you know how difficult it is to actually be active, to accomplish something. You don't go mow the lawn in a long dress, things like that. 
Uh, and so in this time, if there was work to be done, something physical that you were preparing to do, men would take their robes and, and roll them all up kind of in their midsection, their loins, almost like a giant diaper, uh, to turn them into some sort of shorts so they could actually do work. This, and so this phrase has become known as just to, to, to be ready, to be prepared for what is coming ahead, to be uh, prepared. It's like we might say, roll up your sleeves, right? Uh, be prepared. The point is simply, don't plan to get ready. Be ready now. Parents, you know this, right? When your kids are like, we're ready to go, and you're walking out the door, wear your shoes. I don't have my. No, be ready. Have your shoes on. Be ready to go right now. And, and, and that's the idea here with this entire word picture. Keep the lamps burning through the night as, as they wait. They're, they're ready. They're waiting for the master to return from this wedding feast that he's gone out. Um, and, and, and they don't know when, but he's going to, right? And a significant aspect of this, uh, of all of this, is that we don't know when Jesus will return. And we don't. We, we really don't know, and, and we don't tend to think about it much. We just assume it's somehow down the line after I'm dead. I don't know, like a long time. It, it could literally happen before this service is over. Or it could be 6,000 years from now. And, and, and that's why Jesus tells the second parable about the thief in verse 39. Uh, that, and let's be honest, it sounds an awful lot like the plot to Home Alone here. Uh, Jesus says, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect, right? Home alone, Kevin actually knew what hour the thief was coming, and that's why he had to protect his house. Uh, and Jesus' point here, though, is that no one knows when, when Jesus' triumphant return is going to be, which is why... We, we, why um, which, which really, all right, by the way, would have been really strange for them, wouldn't it? You, you think about his disciples. They haven't seen Jesus die on the cross yet. He hasn't been ascended to the, to the Father yet. And here he is talking about not knowing when he returns. You can imagine that it didn't make a lot of sense to them until after all those things happen. Uh, but just like a, a homeowner isn't, doesn't know when a thief will come, we do not know when Jesus will return. It says, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 tells us, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And that's reality for us. And, and we don't know, there aren't a lot of things that are mysteries to us. Right? They didn't have uh, where's my friends or find my friends app. They, no one could send a text. Like, Jesus is not going to send us a text message. You know, I'll be there in two minutes or, you know, next Tuesday or anything of that nature. In fact, you know, Jesus himself actually says in Matthew 24, 36, he says, Concerning that day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. It's a complete mystery. Our, our not knowing when Jesus will return has not stopped Christians from every age, every era, from making their own attempts to predict when that day is going to be. Or, uh, you know, all, all, all the details of how it's going to unfold. And then on some level, you know, even our understanding of, of, of eschatology, right? The, the study of end times is uh, people can become obsessed with what, what does it mean, right? To all these details. When, when I was a, a new believer in high school, the church I went to was a, it was a Bible church and they had all these things. They knew that Russia is the bear from the north. They had it all mapped out. And I thought this was all like fact. This is exactly how Jesus is going to return. It's, it's a theory is what it is. And, and in fact, many of you, you know, probably read the fictional Left Behind series. Uh, some of you are probably identify yourself in some eschatological camp, right? You're, you're all millennial or, or, or the more optimistic post-millennial. 
Um, you might be, you know, something like that. There, there's all these different ones. You're pre or you're post something, and that's fine if that interests you. Uh, others of you probably take the tongue-in-cheek, the pan-millennial view, right? I'll just wait and see how this pans out. Uh, it's not a real view, but you can hold it if you want. But, you know, honestly, when it comes to end times, as your pastor, as someone who, who cares about where you are spiritually and your growth and, and feels that responsibility from the Lord to care for you, I, I'm okay if you have not worked out your end times theory at all. I, it's okay. It's not a bad thing, right? But it's okay if you haven't. I, I would prefer that you are, you are two things. One, eager for the return of Jesus. That, that, that's your primary eschatology. I am just ecstatic that Jesus is going to return that's my eschatology. And, and two, that, that you're ready for Jesus to return when, whenever that might be. Even if your theory, even if your, your, your hope and your eschatology might be completely wrong, that you're just ecstatic that Jesus is indeed going to return and you're certain about that much. So just be eager, um, right? What it, what it means uh, that we'll be with Jesus. And in John 14, the Gospel of John 14, Jesus said, that he goes to prepare a place for us in his father's house. I mean, these are the words of our Savior, the one who's going to die for us, or did die for us now. And he has these words, I go to prepare a place in my father's house for you. And then he promises that he'll return and he'll take us himself. He's not going to, you know, send someone in Uber to pick you up. He's going to return and take us himself to this place. And he adds that where I am, you may be also. That we're going to be with Jesus in a way that we have not yet experienced. And at this time, though, right, Jesus will set all things right when he returns. When, when, when Christ returns, all the effects of sin are going to be removed. And I know throughout Mark we've been seeing this over and over again, but it's one of the greatest hopes uh, that we have as we see not only that, that we're going to be with Christ, but all the things that are going to be set right as well. Cancer and ALS and Parkinson's and every disease is going to be gone, removed from the world. Abortion and pornography and greed and injustice and racism and all evil things are going to be removed. They're going to be gone forever. Our redemption, our already accomplished, will be fully fulfilled. And I know that's redundant, right? But, but what's going to happen is the, uh, the, the not yet is going to become the yes now. And that's going to be the glorious thing you've ever experienced in your life. And so we long, we desire, we want the return of our master and, and we patiently wait. And, and Jesus wants us to be ready and dressed and prepared for his return. And so the question again is, are, are, are you ready? That, that's the real question we're, we're dealing with here, isn't it? Now, what, what exactly is the man or the woman who is awake and waiting for their master to return like? Well, she's doing what she should be doing if the master were still home. That's part of it. He's caring for the interest of the master. Things that matter to the master matter to his servant, right? That, that's part of it. They are faithful to their master. No matter what happens around them, what other cultural pressures they are, they remain faithful to their master. Which means foremost, being right with God by, by trusting completely in Jesus with faith is the most foundational aspect of what it means to be right or to be prepared to be ready to to gird up your loins as Rodney and Jesus say um, but there's more to being ready for the return of Jesus and, I, and so I want us to take a little biblical field trip you've got your Bibles in front of you turn over to first Peter chapter 1 first Peter 
chapter 1. Um, and in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to see this phrase. He says, preparing your minds for action. Does that sound familiar to you? What if I told you it's literally in the Greek, it's gird up your minds for action. Now, does that sound familiar to you? That's nearly word for word what we're seeing in our passage as far as the the original way it's it's worded. Um, And and so starting in verse 13 there in in, uh, 1 Peter, we, we read this. Therefore... Preparing your minds for action, gird up your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so first, be ready by setting your hope on, on the grace that we are going to experience when, when Jesus returns. So set your hope on that. That's where your hope is. Not, not your hope on riches, not your hope on good health, not your hope on romantic love or an amazing career, but, but on this relationship that you have with God because of the grace of God the Father that is, is, is yours in Christ, right? Secured for you by God the Son and applied to you by God the Spirit. The second thing we, we see here is, you know, you, you gird up your loins, your mind, you be ready. As 1 Peter 1.14 here says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of the former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are ready for our master by being changed, by, by turning from pursuing sin to pursuing holiness in our, our life. If, if Jesus returns before this service is over, let me ask you, how, how would you feel about the way you spent the last 48 hours of your life here? Right? He, 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 there's Jesus observing it all. How do you evaluate that? A more important question, honestly, is will, will the next 48 hours be any different? How, how does that change? What, what, what Jesus in our passage is encouraging us towards is a, a life that so honors the Master, our Master, that when He shows up at an unexpected time, what we get caught doing is, is, is doing what's right in the Lord's eyes. That's what we want to get caught doing. And Jesus' point that, that that's the fuel for our pursuing holiness does, does not come from us, you know, from being focused on our current values or the values of our culture, but by being focused on the return of Christ. This is a real event that's going to happen at some point. And in Luke's, in our Luke parable, right, getting out of First Peter here, is this, this massively unexpected surprise in verse 37. And this is, this is what the children's book that's going around is, is all about, their very big surprise. Um, here the master finds the servants ready, and Jesus says the master then goes and puts on the servant's clothing. Not the master's clothing, the servant's clothing. And, and Jesus takes the servants and he sits them at the table, and, and here he is as the master. Uh, the master actually serves his servants. And, and you and I, we, we hear that, and it might not shock us. We're so used to these kind of stories and our, our understanding that we're kind of like, okay, yeah, okay, interesting. But this would have been absolutely huge shock to the people who originally hear this, uh, who first hear it, because it was unthinkable that a master would actually lower himself, uh, you know, to the, to the low level of his servants and, and serve them. That was absolutely unimaginable. And that's what Jesus is saying for his faithful servants when he returns. We know this, that we'll be invited to a table, that we'll be sat down, that we'll we'll feast, right? We'll be served by our master and and, and feast with with the Lord. 
That's what we're looking forward to, right? To, to be in the kingdom of God there. And, and so then, as I said, this is a number of different parables. They're so similar that we want to, to loop them all together. Now, um, the, the next portion of our passage, I'm going to read here in just a minute. Je- Jesus is going to contrast a faithful manager with an unfaithful manager. And it's going to go very different for each of them. Uh, let's go ahead and read in verse, verse 44 there. Uh, follow along. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, And begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know. And he will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will. Will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what he deserved a beating. Will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given. Of him much will be required, and from him whom they, they entrusted much, they will demand much more. All right, you're starting to see where this gets weird, right? Um, Peter begins with this, this question we all kind of want to ask. Is this, is, this Peter for, is this parable for me or somebody else? Like, what, what's going on here? And, and Jesus does what he does so often. Jesus just answers with a story. I think we all probably should work that more into our life, answering questions with stories. Um, the story that he tells here is, that, is about this manager. And, and so this section is primarily about those who've been placed in, in a position of authority, a, a place in, in Christ's church who comes to mind immediately, elders, pastors, right? But it, it is certainly applicable to anyone who's responsible for the spiritual care of, uh, of anyone, right? Including husbands and parents and mentors and teachers, You see, in in this section, Jesus teaches that when he returns, he returns to bring judgment. Judgment's not always bad. It's a positive and a negative thing. On the the one hand, it's a a positive judgment, and and there's blessings with it for this faithful manager. He's judged well. On the other hand, there's a a negative judgment here, and the the punishment for the unfaithful manager is terrible. You see, the, the, the first portion shows a wise manager. He's a, a servant who has also been given responsibility to, to care for, for others under, other servants, rather. That's a, a picture of elders in the church, for sure, right? Um, who, who's an elder. An elder is a servant of Christ, just like everyone else. But, but he's also been given this responsibility uh, of spiritually feeding other servants, of, uh, of caring for the household of God, and, and to faithfully care for all those that actually belong to Christ, right? You're, you're just a steward over them to care for. See, if the, if the manager, the, the steward is wise and faithful, then, then the entire house is going to flourish. And and you already know that's true. You, you see it in everyday life all the time. Husbands, fathers, mothers, you, you, you know that you're wise and, and faithful service. You know that when, when you care well, when you see someone caring well for them underneath them, uh, that it leads to their flourishing. They, they do wonderful. And the opposite, you see, is true as well. 
It's true of those under spiritual care of faithful elders of the church as well. That's, that's why the, the church leader who wrote the book of Hebrews, and we won't get into who that was, um, ends his letter by saying this in Hebrews 13, 18. He says, pray for us, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in, in all things. And I'll, I'll mirror that to you, that to ask that you pray for your elders here. And knowing that we're just servants that have been put into this place of responsibility to, to, to care for you, to care for your spiritual good. For, and so we ask that you pray for Tim and pray for Travis and myself. And, you know, that you pray for, for Ryan and Sam as they're going through the training and they're pursuing this, this position that comes with a great deal of responsibility. Pray that we'll be faithful and wise and that we'll care well for all y'all or however Midwesterners say all y'all. Because um, we want the Lord's blessing. We do. Not, not selfishly. We, we want the Lord's blessing because we want to be trusted to, to steward those the Lord has, has given us to steward, to have care for those that belong to Him. We, we want Him to, to be able to trust us. So that's a, the positive judgment that Jesus, you know, also, you know, that's the positive judgment. Jesus is also here going to show us a negative judgment uh, looks like. If you've, if you've worked anywhere in your life, what, what happens when the manager's gone, when the owner's gone, you ever see how some, some employees just go nuts? So no one's watching, we'll do whatever we want at this point. That, you know, some break the rules, they steal product, they cut corners, they neglect customers, they do absolutely nothing. It's, it's one of the great mysteries that when a manager or, or someone goes away, many of the employees will simply stop doing what they're supposed to do and do what they're not supposed to do. That's the idea here. And, You know, as we see in this tragic story of this unfaithful manager who, instead of nourishing those under his care, the other servants, right, he he abuses them. He he beats the servants. He he selfishly takes what belongs to his master and uses it for his own uh, self-indulgences, overindulging in food and uh, alcohol of some sort until he becomes drunk. And, And the master will be angry to find his servants have been mistreated by this unfaithful manager. Uh, Jesus wants to encourage Peter for sure. He wants to encourage the apostles. He he wants to encourage any of you who find yourself in a place of responsibility over the spiritual care for someone else to be faithful and wise managers, to be good stewards of what doesn't belong to you but belongs to God and you've been made a steward over. And, And so he's warning us here that he cares about his servants and he cares about the way they're treated, the way that they are cared for. And so if we, if we don't take good care of them as his stewards, we're going to be punished. Justice will be served. And you might find this punishment harsh, right? The unfaithful manager is cut into pieces. Really? That, that sounds insane to us. No, but don't worry. It's just an illustration. Reality is so much worse than the illustration, though. Reality is it, it won't end in death when they're cut up because souls don't die. Re- reality will be eternal punishment or forever separated from God or forever rejected by, by, by the master. Reality is so much worse than the illustration here. And the whole point is to say just, just how precious the, the servants are to the master. How much he cares that they are cared for well. And then in verses 47 and 48, we, we see these degrees of punishment for the unfaithful. Uh, literally the faithless. Both of them are in the category of faithless. People uh, who know what to do because the master has told them and they don't do it. They're told they will suffer greatly, right? There's a severe beating. Uh, and those who don't know, they're going to suffer 
also, but not as bad. Now, we, we understand this in general in our criminal system. There is the, uh, the charge you can get for murder, right? But, but not all murders are tried the exact same. There's a huge difference between involuntary manslaughter and premeditated murder. Uh, and there's a bunch of other ones. But, but those give you just a wide-angle idea that they're, they're treated different. In our criminal uh, system, both can be found guilty and punished. And, and Jesus says the same is true here. Both are considered unfaithful. Both are punished. But... The one who knew more is punished more. There's a greater responsibility on that one. The, the, the more we know, the, 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 the more serious the sin of disobeying is. Now, St. Basil said this 1,600 years ago. He said, when I consult the New Testament, I, I find that our Lord Jesus Christ does not absolve from punishment even sins committed in ignorance, although he attaches, attaches a harsher threat to deliberate sins. Now, when we read this, tell me I'm not the only one whose mind wants to go to evangelism. What does this have to do with evangelism, right? We, we want to ask this question, questions about the tribal people who are sinners but who never hear the gospel. And, and I just want to say, don't do that here. That's not what this passage is about. Jesus doesn't go there. That's, that's not at all what he's intending us to do here. Instead, I want you to hear this in the way that Jesus intends it, right? As, as a word that's spoken to you. You will be held responsible for what you know. That, that's what he's getting at. And, and Christian, listen, you don't, you don't need to hear this and, and fear also, right? Because Jesus says in John 5, 24, he tells us this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come in the judgment, but has passed from death to life. And, and so, listen, truth is, I, I mentioned already, th- this has been one of the most difficult passages to preach. Not, not because it's weighty in the way that some passages are, but because it's just really confusing. There, there's so much here to get distracted by and, and confused with. And, I, and so I just want to kind of bring it back here at the end. I, I want to give us one really get back to the basic idea here to make sure we can understand it from, from the wide, wide angle. There, there, there is this question that we've been asking, right? What, what do we do when, once we're saved is kind of that question. How do I be ready? What do, what do I do? Any of you that came to faith later in life, like myself, I, I know you had to process through that. What is, how did my, my life plans change? What does my life look like? What am I supposed to do as a Christian while, while I await uh, for death to come or for Jesus to return? And Titus chapter 3 can help us here. It, it begins in verse 1 with, with one pastor. This is one pastor writing to another pastor, trying to encourage him on, on how to care for the congregation that, that he's been called to care for. And he says this, Remind them to be ready for every good work. Okay, there's a little blurb there in the middle, but, but that's what it gets to. Remind them to be ready for every good work. And then if you're over there, seven verses later in Titus 3.8, he expands a little bit and he, and he says this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. How do we be ready? What does the Christian life look like? There's an aspect of it that we practice holiness in the power of the Holy Spirit every day. 
means we, we care for the temporal and the spiritual needs of others. It means we develop and use gifts and skills and money and time uh, that we've been made stewards of for the glory of God. It means we actually seek obedience in the way that we, we see it in Scripture, not as a means to our salvation, but as a means to being faithful servants of the Lord as we continue to walk after Him in His power. The Puritan Jonathan Edwards, when he was a teenager, he wrote these <clears throat> incredible resolutions. If you've never read them, uh, go and read them. And I failed to write down which one this was. But uh, as a teenager yet, he, he was, said this. He was resolved to, to never do anything which he would be afraid to be doing if he expected Jesus would return within an hour. So here's that going through his mind. If, if Jesus were to return within an hour, would I do what I'm about to do? That gets to the point that, that Jesus is making here. You, you wouldn't be ashamed if, if Jesus returned tonight and found you on the couch watching Home Alone. But you'd probably be ashamed if Jesus returned tonight and found you sitting in front of a computer watching pornography. You, you wouldn't be ashamed if, if Jesus returned this evening and found you reading Narnia to, to your child, but you'd probably be ashamed if Jesus returns and finds you screaming in anger at that same child. And of course, this all comes back to the gospel. It always does, doesn't it? Because these parables make, make one thing abundantly clear. And I, I hope none of you missed this. And it's simply this. We, we all need a Savior. Because you, you look at this. The, the only truly faithful servant in this room or in the history of the world, it's, it's not you. It's not me. Well, only Jesus is, is a truly faithful servant. And in the gospel, Jesus takes our unfaithfulness upon himself, upon the cross. And so it's, it's in him alone that we can find ourselves truly ready for his return, which is why it always keeps coming back to that. You want to be ready for the return of Christ? Fix your eyes on the Lord. Fix your eyes on what he's done for you. At the heart, as, as Philip Ryken says of this passage, even, he says, Christianity is not a religion for faithful servants but a gospel for unfaithful servants. It's the love of the master for us that sets us free to love the master in response as we eagerly await his return. When we, when we sit down at the, the table to, to feast with him, right? When that's what we're waiting for, we're looking for. And, and so then, for, for you who have, have been the unfaithful in this passage, I, I want you to know, right? If, if you find yourself identifying that way, I want you to know that, that, that Jesus is coming. And your only hope is to trust in Jesus. For, for you that, that might relate more to the faithful in, in this passage, I, I want you to know that Jesus is coming, and your only hope is indeed that you trust in Jesus. Maybe be ready at every moment of every day for the return of Jesus, right? Would, would the fact that we know that that can happen at any moment really shape the way we're living today, truly? Um, and just done, really, but... But there's this aspect of we, we are so quick to forget about this. Our, our hope, right, is, is in the past where we look at Christ on the cross. But, but our, our hope is also in the future and the return of Christ. That's a huge part of what we believe. And in, unless, I mean, I, I would, most of us have usually just pushed that off. Maybe it'll happen someday. It's not in our mind. I, I can't encourage you more to, to dwell on that day that the Lord is going to return. Let that be a, a constant focus in your mind. You know, the, the same way some of you in the army wait, wait for your, your spouse who's deployed to come home. You're, you're waiting for that day. You know it's coming. 
We await the return of our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, you are the master, whether we agree with that statement or not. May the Holy Spirit make us into servants who are readily awaiting your return. Lord, would you give us a, a greater longing for your return? Father, I ask that you to give our, our elders and potential elders a love for you that takes serious the call to care for our, our fellow servants, that we would be faithful servants while we await your return. And Lord, for all presence with us today, we ask that you would, you would give eyes of faith and lives of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.